All right, John chapter 17 is where we will be this morning. And as you're turning there, we'll kind of do a recap. For the last several weeks, uh, last four weeks or so, we've been working and kind of going through the marks of a disciple. As, we, um, as, as we've gone through those things, you know, what it means to be a disciple is a believer in Jesus Christ who chooses to follow the Word of God, who continues in the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ, one who submits his life wholly to the ministry that Jesus Christ has called them to. And in order to do that, we, we learned the, the following week that it requires a renewing of your mind. It, it requires you to change your mindset that puts yourself aside, that puts your desires and your thoughts and your own rationale off to the side, and we adopt a mindset that says, nevertheless, at your word, I will. So whatever the, whatever the word of God requires of us and whatever God calls us to do, regardless of how we feel about it, we act in obedience to what he is asking. And we say, nevertheless, at your word, I will. But into doing that, in following what God wants us to do, it requires a lot of change. It requires us to make different, um, different decisions. It requires us to pay a price, which there is a cost to be a discipleship. It will require a sacrifice on your part. It requires you to deny yourself and to pick up the cross and follow him daily. There is a price for discipleship. Um, there's something that we have to understand. We must put our own desires and everything aside. The price to pay for discipleship is, is a price. And as I said a couple weeks ago, anything worth having is going to cost you something. But is that cost really worth it? Is what we talked about the following week. We talked about the investment that we must make. Is it actually worth the investment? I mean, is it, is it really a good idea for me to buy into this discipleship thing? Is it really going to play out for me in the end? And we learned that what Jesus said is, anyone who leaves father and mother and who will follow me and leaves these things and makes this sacrifice and pays the price will receive a hundredfold in this life and the next. So the price that we pay for discipleship is definitely worth the investment that we must make. But I also want you to understand, you know, God, as, as, I, as I mentioned before, the rewards are great. God chooses, us, chooses to reward us for our service in this life as well as in the next. But the fact that he has died on the cross, was buried and resurrected for your salvation in order for you to be forgiven and in order for you to have eternal life should be more than enough to motivate us to, to serve him with our lives. Whether, whether or not we get another reward after that, it really shouldn't matter. I mean, we, we have gained eternal life. But however, the investment, to, um, the investment to pay the price in order to become a disciple, a true sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, is definitely worth that. But in order to pay that price, it's going to be tough. Wouldn't you agree? I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, following Jesus is easy. You know, I believe that's a really big mistake that people are preaching now. Well, just put on the Lord Jesus Christ and all of your problems will go away. Not true. No, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, you will have eternal life, but most likely this world will reject you if you choose to follow Him. So it's going to be a tough road. It's not always an easy thing. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. Yes, it can be full of joy because, yes, our joy comes through obedience. Of, through, our joy comes from the obedience that we, um, that we do for Christ and the fact that we're living that out. But it's not always the easiest thing to do. Because when we're faced with persecution, we're faced with, we're faced with difficult decisions, um, a lot of times it, it requires us to really, really sit down and really fully commit to following Christ. And a lot of times it's a difficult thing. 
So what do, you, what do you want people to do for you typically when you're going through a difficult decision? What do you typically ask? Prayer, right? Hey, I need, I need prayer. Do you know that Jesus Christ specifically prayed for disciples? Specifically prayed for disciples. Let's take a look in, in uh, John chapter 17. This is actually what we're going to be speaking of. Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Now starting off in, in, um, in chapter 16, let's just back it I like to get a running start. He says in verse in chapter sixteen, he's, he's telling them he's telling them um, about what's going to happen. That he's not going to be here for for long. In verse twenty eight, it says, "I come I come forth from the Father, and I have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to my Father." And his disciples says, "See now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech." Now we are sure that you know all things and that you have no need that anyone should question you, but says, by this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone, and yet I am not, not alone because the Father is with me. He's giving them, he's giving them a heads up here. He's not going to be hanging out for very much longer. Okay? He's going to have to depart. And it's going to be very, very soon. So jumping into verse in chapter 17, what we see is that Jesus starts off a prayer here. In verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given. And this is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Within the first few verses here, Jesus is praying for himself. He's asking the Father to glorify him that he can in turn glorify the Father. But a, a very brief portion of this, of this prayer is about himself. And then he transitions into praying for his disciples. In verse 6, he makes this transition here. Now listen to the, to the word as it goes from I into me and my and glorifying me. In verse 6 he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have are given me from you. Verse 8, for I have given, given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them and have, uh, and have known surely that I come forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. Specifically, he starts to pray for his disciples. Look at verse 9. It says, I pray for them. How do we know it's specifically for his disciples, those that have followed him? Because he gave a description of, of the people for whom he was praying. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, I do not pray for the world. Does that mean he doesn't love the world? Absolutely not. No. The, the entire reason why he came was for the world and for the redemption of man. Um, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And actually, while he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
So, no, he's not that they didn't need prayer. It's not that he didn't love them. But, but he had specific reasons for why he was going to uh, specifically pray for them at this point rather than praying for the world at this point. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all, and all are mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified. In them. There's a few reasons why Jesus specifically is praying for them. He's praying for them, one, as we, as we can see, as that the disciples, they were, they were given to him by the Father. They had belonged to the Father, but now they had been entrusted to Jesus, and he is praying for them. He said, these are the ones that you have given to me, and they both belong to him and the Father. But also, these disciples were glorifying Jesus. So this is another reason why I am praying. He says, now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, and that they may be one as we are one. He's praying for these, for these disciples. Again, in verse, in verse 11, he says, now I am no longer in the world. Jesus knows what's coming down the line. He's like, I'm no longer in the world, Lord. He says, Father, I am praying for them because I am no longer going to be with them. Now, the things for which Jesus prays for is going to be four things that we're going to look at today. The specific things that he is praying for his disciples are found in here. And the first one is found in verse 11. The first thing we want to take a look at us, read verse 11 again. It says, now I am no longer in the world, so since in my absence... So, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. What's he praying for that? Unity amongst his disciples. He said, I want you to be one as we are one. Jesus is praying for them to, to be kept and to be protected from divisiveness, not from evil or not the evil one, at this point, he, he deals with that later, but he is actually praying for unity amongst the believers in Jesus Christ, that they may stay unified in the work that they are called to do. But I want you to understand that the disciples, you know, they're living in a very divisive world. And Jesus had kept them unified together up until this point, except for Judas, as, as we see here in the next verse. He had, he had kept them unified and together and, and in one accord as they, were, as they were following the ministry of Jesus during his time in his ministry here. But now Jesus is lift, leaving and he's lifting them up to God the Father and praying for them, saying, God, take over because I'm about to leave. Pray that they are one even as we are one. So not only was he praying for unity, not the fact that these people should be unified, together, but he also qualifies what they are supposed to be unified on. What is a, what's, what's the example there? Not to be just be unified, but to be unified as they are unified. To be as one as Jesus and the Father are one. To be unified that strongly. He is wanting his disciples, his followers of Jesus Christ, to be unified as the Father and the Son were unified. That is a big deal. He wants us to be together as one body working for one purpose, and that's to serve the kingdom. And to be unified on that. This is the whole theme of the, of the, of the prayer here. 
Because he says it over and over and over that they may be one as we are one. Not one based on our opinions or our thoughts or our own ideas and our own personal rationale, but to be one in Jesus Christ is what he is wanting. Now look at verse 21. And we'll skip over here. And notice what he says over and over again, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that you also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one. Unity amongst the believers and the disciples of Jesus Christ is paramount. He addressed this very, very strongly in his prayer. The the disciples, they lived in a very divisive world. And I'm not going to question the fact that we also live in a very divisive world. We live in a world full of prejudice, competition, lust, selfishness, egotism, hurt, angry spirits, possessiveness, pride, self-praise, hate, war, and the list can just go on and on and on. The divisive world was a threat for the disciples then. I want you to understand, it's a divisive, uh, the world which we live in is divisive as well. But Jesus, he calls us to be one as they are one, as Jesus the Son and God the Father are one. We must be unified in what we are called to do. We are to be unified in nature and in our character and how we live and the purpose that we, that we carry out. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, it tells us this, Since you have been purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of, not of the seed of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word which lives and abides forever. The nature that we have, the foundation of our unity, has to be based on our belief and trust in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Okay, if we're going to do anything for the cause of Christ and serve the kingdom of God, that is what our foundation is. That is the thing upon which we are all to stand firmly on from the very beginning. Now, once we get off of that foundation, we're on something else. We've got different ideas. We start pulling over here. We start pulling over there. And if you have as many ideas as you have people, you're not going to have unity. But the very basis of our unity starts with a belief and trust in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We must be unified in our character as well. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, it says this, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, the world is confused about Christianity. But why are they confused about Christianity? Because we're not unified in how we act. We're not unified in how we display our behaviors. It's all the way across the board. You know, are, 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 are there, is it the case where oftentimes Christ is misrepresented by people who claim to be Christians? Absolutely. But that's just a sign of disunity. That's a sign of division there. You know, we don't, we don't condone such behavior as Christians, but yet we have many out there who are claiming to be Christians, but at the same time, their behavior doesn't line up with what the Word of God says. So as a saved child of God, our character needs to be unified. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ in all aspects of our life, whether, it's ch- whether we're going to church, we're going to school, or whether it's in our business, or however that may need to be, we need to be unified in our character. 
Set aside, set apart, something different that the world does not see on a regular basis, but something different. We're supposed to be unified in the purpose that we, that we have. As we, as we spoke, spoke last week, you know, our, our, our number one command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything that you have is to bring honor and glory to God. And we do that through, through obeying the, uh, the command of Christ and, and following the Great Commission. By making disciples of all nations, we show love to God and love to people. Because that's the greatest purpose that anyone could feel in their life is to become a true follower of Jesus. And that's what we are called to do. But we're called to be unified together. And we're, we're called to be unified based on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the teachings that he has given us. I have to excuse me. I've got something going on here. Here we go. All right. We must be unified. Now, we, now we're going through a lot of different things, you know, um, you know, this church, and there's going to be changes that are made. So even when we go through changes, we need to make sure that we're unified on those things. But we also have to understand that our, our, the changes that we make are for the furthering of the gospel or for the betterment of the kingdom, for growing the kingdom of God. We get unified, and we're going together for that purpose. Unity is what Christ wants in his body. But we have so many divisions that are there within the body of Christ. Maybe not specifically here, but the question was asked last Sunday night, well, you know, why is there so many churches in the, all these little bitty towns? Why is it? It's divisions, right? You know, we're not really multiplying believers. We're just cutting things in half and dividing them out is what happens. So a sign that there's a whole bunch of church buildings in a, in a small town doesn't mean that the, the Christians are growing. It means that they're not really getting along and they're being divisive. And most of the time, they're not being divided on things that really matter at all. They're being divided on the color of paint, the color of carpet, whether or not there's a pulpit or not. You know, things like that, the type of music. I mean, those are things that are, being, that are dividing children of God. And whenever you divide, you're not as strong as you could be. So now we have a lot of small churches around in these little communities, not just Malvern, but in, in a lot of places where I've served. You see this church, and you know in the history, that they split off of that one, they split off of this one. Oh yeah, that church over there, that, that they, they're also a split, and they're all struggling. What's the best way to defeat an enemy? Divide and conquer, right? Divide and conquer. And if you also have a, if you can have the biggest army that you possibly could, to, to, could gather... But if they're not unified on the mission that's supposed to be taking place, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be a disaster. They're going to be completely ineffective. And on the battlefield, it's going to be a massacre. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus is speaking here. And over and over and over again, he prays that God would keep them unified. Jesus said, I have kept them together. I've kept them unified. But I am leaving. God, I'm praying. Keep them unified. Keep them together. Keep them with a priority. Keep them with the right priorities that the purpose that they are here is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and win a lost and dying world to you. Stay unified. That's what Jesus is really hammering down here. We must stay unified. And the prayer that he is giving to us, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ as a whole, we must be unified as one body serving Christ the way he has called us to do it. But not only unified, but unified as the Son and the Father are unified. That tight with that purpose. Another thing that he prays for in verse 13. 
In verse 13 it says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You know, all of this, all this stuff we're talking about, you know, swallowing our pride, you know, making choices, making sacrifices, paying the price, the cost, everything that's going to cost for us to be a disciple. Jesus, he's praying that these, these things that you will, you know, sacrifice, he's praying that they'll bring you joy. It's the second thing that he prays for here. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time on it like he did with unity because joy is not something that you can just, you know, kind of conjure up. It's not something that you can kind of make a choice to do. But rather, joy is a byproduct of following Jesus. It's a byproduct of being unified. It's a byproduct of bearing much fruit, as we read, as you would read in uh, the, one of the previous chapters in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, he wants us to have our joy full. In uh, John 15, 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. If you're familiar with what it says, he's talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And he goes on to talk about how, how you cannot produce fruit by yourself unless you're connected to the vine. Unless you abide in Jesus, you can't, you can't produce fruit. But he says the fact that if you are obedient to me, you will produce fruit. And the fact that you produce fruit will glorify your Father and your joy will be full. Joy is not something that we wait on before we start working. No, joy is something that is a byproduct of us following Jesus Christ and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of all joy that you face diverse temptations. Even in the hard times, you can still have joy because you know that you're glorifying your Father who is in heaven and you know that the investment is worth the buy-in. And you can glorify Him knowing that He is coming back one day no matter how bad it gets here on earth. We have plenty of reasons to joy. But Jesus, he didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about joy because it's simply a byproduct of your obedience. He's praying that they will stay unified and that their joy might be full and that his joy may remain in, in us as we choose to follow him. And then thirdly, he prays for protection. In verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus is praying for protection of his disciples, one, because they're hated. Simply because they're hated. Jesus has come down and he has lived his life according to the calling of the Father. He's brought a new message of hope. And if they would just trust in him, that, that, um, that their sins will be forgiven. Stirred up the pot, big time. The religious leaders of the time, were, if what he was saying was true, was going to take a lot from them. It was going to cost them a lot. Their powers to be which should, would be shaken. Their, their influence and their authority would be taken down. And they did not like the message that Jesus was teaching. He stood up to them. And the world hated Jesus because of it, leading to his crucifixion. But as disciples, these disciples that the Bible is talking about specifically, when Jesus was to leave and to ascend into heaven, these disciples were the ones who were going to be carrying the message of the Word of God. And the message that they carry tells, one, the, the, the nature of mankind. It tells us that we are all sinners, that none of us are good, no, not one. 
And that we are all in deserving, we are all deserving of death and hell for an eternity. That is what we have earned through our sin. It also tells us about the judgment and the righteousness and the holiness of God that must judge sin or else he's no longer holy. And people don't like to hear that message. People don't like to hear that they're going to be held accountable to the Creator one day. And that's why the world rejects those things. But for whatever reason, the, the, the world will reject the fact that God is a loving and merciful God who wants to forgive you of your sin, but you have to come with Him upon His rules. You have, to, you have to approach Him in His way, and that is repentance and faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, if you don't come that way, if you don't come through my Son, I don't know you. And the world rejects that. And, the, and because of that, the world hates the disciples. Now, after Jesus had stirred up the pot with these people, the, the environment that Jesus left the disciples in was extremely hostile towards Christians, these new believers Extremely hostile because they were, they were seeking the death penalty for all these believers during this time after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand something else. Because even though they were in this really difficult situation, even in a place where the world was hating, listen to what he says in verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He's praying for them, one, because they were hated, and he's not praying that God should take them out of the world, but he's praying for them because the world needs them. And they need to stay in that hostile environment. They need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because the one thing that the world may hate is the one thing that the world needs. And they need to be prayed for that they will boldly stand up for Christ during those times. And I'm so thankful that they did. We know we have the word of God today because of it. Because they were faithful. And Jesus is praying for them because, one, I am leaving. And then the work that Jesus Christ had groomed them to do, he was no longer going to be with them. And the furthering of the gospel rested on their very shoulders. It rested on the fact that they were going to be faithful. And it was going to be resting on their shoulders if they were going to continue the work that Jesus Christ had put them to do. It rested on their choices. If they were going to follow Christ and continue the word or not, therefore Jesus prayed for them. I want you to understand that same burden is on our shoulders today. We are called to preach this. And though we don't, we don't face the same circumstances that these disciples did, not here in Malvern, Arkansas, yet, but many people all over the world are getting put to death for doing this very same thing. Even today. In the world in which we live, I want you to understand the more we preach what is here, the more the world doesn't like it. On many different topics, even today, some of the very biggest ones of our time, even now, mainstream media, if you preach what the Bible says about those topics, it's now considered hate speech. We live in a hostile world, therefore, we have an obligation to preach this still, but understand and know that Jesus is praying that we continue. He doesn't want to remove us from this, so it's, not the right, so it's not the right thing for us to, to run away from it and to shy back. But no, understanding that Jesus has prayed and therefore we obey. Because the world needs us. Regardless of whether they want to hear it or not, we have an obligation to God. If we love God, then we're going to love the people. And we love the people by telling them the truth. 
And even in a hostile world, Jesus has prayed, I do not wish that we that you take them out of the world. I don't wish that. I don't pray for that. But that you should keep them from the evil one. He wants to protect you. He's praying that the evil one will be far removed from you so that you can, so that you can um, perform the task that he has called you to do. That's what, he, that's what he's wanting for us um, in, this, in this life. That's what disciples are, are called to do. And he's praying not that you'll be removed from the hostile situation or not that you'll be removed from the difficult place, but that you will be protected from the evil one during the time you are serving him in that. He wants to make sure that you are protected. You know something, you know something about that. You know, truly, if, if God is who he says he is, and I believe that he is. And I believe that nothing can come to me except that which God allows. It's an infinite understanding of that. Okay, nothing happens to you except what God allows to come upon you. Really think that over for a minute. God doesn't overlook anything. Nothing takes him by surprise. So just have an understanding. Even whenever Satan wanted to attack Job, what did he have to do? He had to go very to the throne of God and actually ask permission. Do you mind if I jack with Job a little bit? He said, well, you don't know Job. But sure. Yeah. And he come back and said, look, I still can't get to him. He says, because you got him protected. He says, all right, you still don't know my buddy Job, but sure, man, attack everything he's got, even his health, but don't take his life. And Job, throughout the entire book, never understood why. He was never aware of the conversation that went between Satan and God at the time. Had no idea what was going on. All right? But that gives us a perspective. If we're going through something difficult, understand God is not taken by surprise in this. Understand that God, uh, understand that God is not taken by surprise. Understand that He knows what's going on in your life. And though we face these difficult times... That's time for us to, to submit to him and to give him the opportunity to show himself strong in those situations so we can claim the victory for God rather than ourselves. If you're going through something difficult while you're following Christ, understand he's prayed for you. And he's praying that the evil one cannot come to you. And if he, what he does allow to you is through only the permission of the hand of God, and he's going to see you through it the way that he wants you to get through it. Okay? So it's not always going to be the easy thing. Because I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So we can go, we can go, to, we can go with confidence. You know, knowing that Jesus has prayed and knowing that he will not allow anything to come upon us that we cannot bear or get through without his help, with that kind of confidence, we should be able to charge hell with a water pistol, as they say, and to really do some damage without fear. Because Jesus is praying that the evil one be kept from us. Now I believe that as long as we are following Christ obediently according to the will that he has called us to do, according to his word, I believe that we have God's protection from anything that he doesn't know about. But I can't say that you got that guarantee whenever you, when, you, when you want to live your life the way that you want to, apart from his word. You will face consequences for your behavior. So, we have an obligation to be obedient, stand in unity with him. 
And then whenever we stand in unity and, and uh, walking according to his word and we abide in his word, we can claim the promise and claim the understanding that Christ has prayed for us and that God will bring us through and protect us as we continue in his will. The disciples were needed in this world. Therefore, that's why he prayed for protection rather than a removal. The need was not for them to be taken out, but it was, it was for them to be kept from the evil one. The disciples, they were called to be the ambassadors um, and the messengers of God. And because we will go off into a hostile situation, that's why it's very important for us to be prepared. You never go off into a battle unprepared. Ephesians 6, 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Which brings us to our next point. We must be prepared. Jesus prays for the sanctification of his disciples. In verse 16, it says, They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, sanctification, it can be defined in three different ways. There's three different stages, and I'll touch on those very briefly so we can have an understanding of what we're talking about. But sanctification one is the initial sanctification when you are set apart into God's family, when you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior. You have passed from life unto death, and you have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. When Jesus Christ returns or you close your eyes in death, you will wake up and see the face of your Savior. Secondly is a progressive sanctification. It's the process of what we call discipling, discipleship, as a believer continues to grow day by day, becoming stronger and stronger in the Lord, and becoming more and more like Christ by the transforming power of the, that His Word has on our lives. And then lastly, the final, the final sanctification is the eternal sanctification when we are set apart to be with God forever, separated from hell, which is quarantined forever. Three different stages, but specifically what he's talking about here is the second one, the progressive sanctification process of the disciples. He says, there, he says, sanctify them by your truth. So what's the source of our sanctification? Truth. He says, your word is truth. The process and the, the substance of your, of your transformation to become more Christ-like is a thing that we're holding in our hands right now. It's the very Word of God. It's the truth of the Word of God. We use this as a standard for all things uh, pertaining to life and godliness is in this book. We're to be sanctified by God's Word. And we need to be sanctified because we're being sent into the world that hates us. We're being sent out into the world that's, that's combative. We're being sent out into the world to win the loss for Christ. Therefore, we need to be sanctified. We need to be ready. We need to be trained. The only way that we can be trained is if we get in this book and learn what he says. The only way that we, can, the only way that we are able to discern between what's right and wrong or what's doctrinal or not doctrinal, what's, what's, a false, what's a false teacher as opposed to a right teacher is the unchanging standard of the Word of God. The reason why we have people going to and fro is because they have no idea what the Word of God says. Anything that sounds good to their ear, they'll jump to it. And sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong, but they have no discerning power because they don't know what the Word of God says. Remember, we can't make decisions based on our emotions or what we think may be right because our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We make decisions based on the facts of what the gospel tells us and what the Word of God tells us. It's the unchanging standard by which we are sanctified 
And we are made more and more like Christ by the more and more we know. This is what one guy said, and we'll close here. It says, believers are sanctified through faith. That is, through God's Word. It is through the study and the practice of God's Word that every believer is set apart. As the believer studies the Word of God, he sees more and more how he is to live. He sees and he sets himself apart to live the way that God shows him to live. The Word of God holds new instructions for the believer every day. But the believer must come to the Word every day if he wishes to be set apart for that day. And that prayer that we pray sometimes, give us this day our daily bread. We have to have an understanding that Jesus, his call to us is to make disciples of all nations. And we've kind of gone through the majority of all of that over the last several weeks. But he's specifically praying here. I want you to understand that we as a body of Christ, we as a, as a local body here, as a congregation at First Baptist Church, if we're not unified and, we don't, and if we don't live our lives according to what Jesus Christ has called us to do, we can't expect the, the protection but if we never get into the Word of God, we can never expect to be sanctified either. So we need to make sure that we are making a decision for Christ. Do we want to be a disciple of Christ? Is that the desire of the hearts of you all here today? Well, then let's make that decision. It's going to be a big commitment. And, over, and what we've talked about over the last several weeks will just kind of play out as far as what you can expect. I don't believe I've sugarcoated it for you at all. It's going to be work. It's going to be tough. But understand there's joy in that. There's rewards that are coming with that. God's called us. He's going to protect us. He will supply you with everything you possibly need to get the end result that he desires for you to have. So let's give our lives to him. Let's, let's make that commitment today where you are, and let's move forward to where God has called us to bring. Let's stand as we have a hymn of invitation this morning. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for what you've given us, Father, today. Lord, we want to be satisfying to you. We want to serve you rightly. We want to see the world changed around us, not just for the sake of what we can say that we did, but we can stand back and see what you have done through us. Father, as we as your ambassadors are called to be, strengthen us. Help us to put aside the things that are keeping us from following you in our day-to-day lives. And let's, let's just serve you. God, these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.